I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bank. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Buff. I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. Uh, if you want to read anything I've got to say, it's on WolvesBlog.com, or it's on Twitter at WolvesBlog, or at Facebook.com forward slash WolvesBlog. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. I am on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter page for the show Cottage Talk. And you can reach the show at any place you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Obviously a pleasure. A thing that has been a little bit less of a pleasure lately has been watching Tottenham Hotspur Football Club do the football part of that name. Um, Tottenham knocked out of the Carabao Cup and Champions League within a week. Uh, Obviously, uh, the loss to Wolves in between those, but a a nice win yesterday against Nottingham Forest. But all of this turmoil has really brought up even more questions about Antonio Conte's future. Uh, He obviously, with some pretty spicy comments, directed at players in the fan base, um, some members of the club and spouses uh, coming at Conte pretty heavily. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out long term. Someone has an option at the end of this contract to extend it. Different journalists saying that it's Tottenham, some saying that it's Conte. But given all of this kind of craziness that's really culminated in, in the last 10 days or so, do you think that, that Tottenham will move on from Conte ahead of the 23 24 season? Yes. Uh, in a word, I think um, he will go. I don't, I don't think it's sustainable the way that Tottenham have been run at the moment. Um, every defeat feels like a disaster. The look on Conte's face on the on the touchline is is painful. Um, he still seems to get pretty fired up when, when the goals are going in. I saw him celebrating mm. quite aggressively in the, in the game yesterday. So that, I think, I feel like he wants to do a good job there, but I think he just, he knows that he can't get the resources he needs to do what he wants to do. Um, and so I think it's just inevitably going to going to come to a going to come to an end. So I mean, he, he steered Tottenham through a a period, you know, I think what he picked up from Nuno in a pretty bad position. They got in the Champions League. They just haven't they haven't moved it on, have they? And I just think there's just bad feeling on both sides. He probably feels he hasn't been given the backing he he hoped for or promised. And I think Tottenham maybe thought he could do more with, with the players he had. Um, so I just think, I just think when you've got this feeling around a football club, how often does it suddenly just turn, you know, just turn and suddenly change? Um, I suppose you could argue that it did happen for Arteta at Arsenal. Um, 
you know, he brought kids into the team and, and changed it up that way and got some energy. Um, but I, I don't know, with this group of players that, that Tottenham have got, I just don't see that they're just going to suddenly turn it around. I think there's an issue with Harry Kane in the summer. Something's going to happen there. Um, is he going to sign that contract or is he going to move on? I think that seems more likely he's, he's going to want to move. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's probably a, a, a summer rebuild to come at Tottenham. I'd be shocked if Conte's still there. You'd imagine that Pochettino would be the would be the man to come back because he will have the opposite effect. He'll energise the fan base. Um, he's a manager who clearly wants to be there uh, and he can get them playing the football that, that Tottenham fans want to see. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that would seem like the obvious move um, to make. And, yeah, I suppose that's what I expect to happen. I would uh, have to agree that I don't see... Pochettino, well, I do see Pochettino potentially coming in, but I don't see Conte staying. I think this is a bad marriage, and I think it's going to end at the end of the season. It just has not worked for whatever reason. I think part of it has to do with uh, the pressure that it has at Tottenham to win and to win a certain way. And I don't think they play similar to Jose Mourinho if you don't play a certain way, you really won't be accepted. You can talk a little bit more about this, Kev, but I just don't think that ultimately he's accepted because of the way he plays. And I don't even know if his players have accepted him because they're ex- expected to play a certain way. So I think it will end and it probably won't end well. And uh, Tottenham will move on. And the thing about Tottenham moving on, I think they need to move on. But I think they need a a clear identity of what they want. Pochettino is something that they know, something that they like. That does make sense. Can you go back to the future? I don't know. I don't know about that. Can you? I think they might go in that direction. All I'm going to say as a Fulham support, just stay away from Marco Silva. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yes, just stay away from Marco Silva. You can yeah. go in all different directions, but ultimately, I just don't see this continuing, and I think it's two sides that need to separate. Yeah. I, I think the really concerning thing is how frequently we've needed to separate from managers, but Russ, I, I think you're spot on when you say part of the reason is that the identity has kind of been lost. And I think there was a willingness within Spurs fans um, or within the fandom to sacrifice the kind of attacking, free-flowing, you know, high-press system um, for more pragmatic football under Jose and Antonio Conte. But that's only worth it if you win something or show that you're clearly building something. And I think the fact that the best case now for this season is what happened last season, but this year he had a full preseason. Um, Thomas, I know you mentioned Conte wasn't backed as much as he wanted. First, I'm not sure Conte could ever be backed as much as he wanted. Um, it's a, he's a very he's a very player hungry manager, and then doesn't play a lot of them. But we spent a fair chunk for him in the summer. The one big miss was Bastoni, although he hasn't particularly had an incredible season himself at Inter. Um, that's the one target that I think was really missed, but, um, kind of losing my, my thread here. Oh, oh, did he had, he was able to bring on all these players. He had a full preseason, um, and he, he just came in in a much better situation than Thomas, like you were saying last year, where he had to kind of replace Nuno, uh, just a few months into the season and it's not better. 
uh, if anything, it's getting worse. And I think that's really concerning. Um, I do think there's an element of the players getting tired of it. It's happened everywhere he's been before. I'm just surprised that it's already happened where, you know, players are... The, the tactics do not play to all of our players' strengths, even though positionally a lot of them match it well. Um, and there's just no adjustment. The players that he trusts are not the players that the fans trust. And it just leads to a lot of those decisions where you're looking at this manager that is obviously um, very well decorated and is considered one of the best tacticians in the world. But we're kind of just not seeing it week to week. Um, I mean, there's a chance that he's playing some level of like 7D chess that fans literally just can't grasp. But there's a lot of seemingly simple fixes to what he's doing that are just not being made. And I think that's one of the reasons why the fans have been lost so quickly. And just to retouch on the play style thing, uh, this week we just realized that we're probably not going to win anything under Conte. So what is the point of any of this? What's the point of any of the snide comments in the press conferences? What's the point of, you know, watching just very, very drab football? Obviously this weekend was a little bit better. Um, But on the whole, what's the point of playing defensive football when you're going to concede in almost every match two in some um it, it just really doesn't make any sense it it really seems like the reason last year worked was uh the the invigoration we got in january with kulisevsky and bentoncourt who basically became two of our six best players the second they walked into the club and the fact that kane and son were continually smashing their expected goals which they've both done their entire careers but this year son isn't and realizing that this system doesn't work <laughs> without two players playing better than they should be always, doesn't feel particularly sustainable. Um, but anyway, that's that's why I kind of agree with you guys. I think Conte will be gone. My question is, what's the point of dragging it out till the summer unless you think the top four is still an option? Obviously, United dropping points today helps. Newcastle almost did um, to, to Thomas's Wolves. That obviously would have helped as well. Liverpool uh, obviously dropped points yesterday, but... I don't know. If you aren't 100% sure or, or at least 80% sure that you're going to get top four, why not bring in a manager, if it is Pochettino, to start betting in now rather than having to do, do it all in the summer? Uh, and one last thing on Pochettino, which I agree with both of you on, is uh, I, I've been pretty consistent about this. I don't think people want 2023 Pochettino at 2023 Tottenham Hotspur. I think they just wish it was 2014 again and that we could ride that wave all over again if you replayed that same like five to six season stretch under Pochettino again. We probably win the title instead of Leicester that year everybody else struggles. Or, in theory, let fewer of the big clubs struggle and we still finish second or third. That Chelsea year where they had Conte uh, and we finished second, obviously, uh, is something that people wish they didn't have. But I think people just want that, that ride again of being a team that was kind of finishing 6th, 7th, and then riding up to being one of the better teams in the Premier League. And I don't think that happens again. Um, the other big issue, Pochettino doesn't like working under directors of football, so will Paratici, at least until we find out whether or not he's going to actual jail, or at least facing um, a ban from football, is he going to be looking for a manager that doesn't want to work with him, Costing himself potentially his job seems a little unlikely. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Thomas, you guessed it before we hit record. I was going to rant longer than I wanted to. I'm going to stop now. Uh, why uh, You both touched on it a little bit. What, but why do you think the, the pairing has failed so quickly this season compared to some of the promising signs we saw last year as, as Tottenham did push up into that Champions League spot? I think it comes down to recruitment, Kev. Um, 
I think Richarlison seemed a decent acquisition in theory, but what he's actually done is created you a problem because you've got a high-profile player who's unhappy because he's not getting the minutes he wanted. And I'm not convinced that he's brilliant for your system, um, only because I think he was kind of brought in on the basis that he might be good backup for Kane. But Kane hasn't really had any injuries. It's, it's typical, isn't it? It's like, seems to me like the first season where Kane's been reasonably consistently available. And that's led to a lack of minutes for Richarlison. And he's not really, is he adding a lot? I'm, I'm just not sure he is. I just don't think there was probably a cuter addition to be made there, um, particularly for that money. Basuma seems like a failure. You might tell me differently, but I haven't, I haven't seen him hardly play for Tottenham. And I don't get the impression he's in any way close to integral for them. Um, and I, I don't think Longley at the back, is he a brilliant player? I, I just don't know. I just, I don't think they've solved the problems of that team. I, that's as simple as that. I just don't think, I don't think that they brought enough players in and I don't think the players they did bring have made the team any better. They just, they just, there's too many average players in the Tottenham team that just, they give you a chance as you saw when you played at Wolves, you know, because I mean, they, they had that game by the scruff of the neck at Molyneux, but they just couldn't, they couldn't see it through. They couldn't get that opening goal. And then in the second half, they just started making sort of mistakes that you don't see the top teams really making. And, and it just invited Wolves forward. And then, you know, they weren't good enough to, to, to keep, you know, ride the storm and then go again. Um, so, yeah, it's just recruitment. I just, you just look at that Tottenham team now, Kevin. I just, I'm not sure about some of the players. I mean, Forster in goal for a start, right at the back. He's an, he's okay Premier League goalkeeper, but he just gives you a feeling he's gonna he's gonna give you something. And you know, Loris hasn't been brilliant. I think that they they could they probably needed they probably did need a better goalkeeper signing on reflection in in the summer. They definitely need one this summer. Um, and they, they haven't got a defender. They've got Romero at the back, uh, and I just the players around Romero are they. Are they good enough? I'm not sure they are. I, don't, I think Ben Davis is an okay player. Um, I think Dyer's an okay player. Um, I think they've got certain qualities. They're, they're good professionals, but I just don't think they're top players in the way that some of the players are at, you know, Liverpool and uh, Man City and even Man United with Martinez and, you know, some of the some of the players they've brought in at the back. You know, I still think Tottenham are looking for that that blend. I saw some Tottenham fans saying they can't believe, you know, they used to have Vertonghen and Alderweireld and Kyle Walker and Danny Rose. And, you know, mm. they had, that back four made sense. You know, they, they had two really commanding centre-halves and two full-backs who got forward and they were good attacking full-backs and you knew what you were going to get from them. And, you know, it, it just seems like they haven't solved that problem. And uh, so it, it, it's probably more down to recruitment than anything. And, and to be honest with you, even though we, we spent a lot of time talking about the manager, Whoever's in that dugout next season for Tottenham, it's it's going to be the players they're given. Because I think if you give Pochettino the same players, I just don't see him. Uh, the, the style will be different because it'll be a back four probably instead of a back five, and he might get a little bit more out of them as an attacking team. But I still think they need to they need to improve. They need to be creatively better in the midfield, and they need to be defensively better at the back. You know that. 
and in wide areas, they need to be better. So it, they need a lot of outgoings. They need to shift out quite a few players and bring some in. I don't think they've ever really replaced Ericsson, have they, as an attacking, no. you know, good midfielder. And some of the midfielders you used to have, you had, you had Dembele. I mean, he was a fantastic player, wasn't he? I mean, you haven't got a Dembele. I mean, Benton Core's been good, but is he as good as Dembele was? I'm not sure he was. And, you know, you had Ali in your pomp, breaking from midfield and scoring goals at... Yeah, I just think it's 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 just weighing too heavily on those on those front three players, and yeah, I just think if they've got to get the balance of the squad right, you know, they've got some good players, and and ultimately, if we look at it from the sense of you're still in fourth place at the start of the season, that's probably where you probably, if you had to guess, where you where you thought you'd be, and you know, you've played the way you expected to play under Conte, albeit. It's probably been a bit erratic and not quite as consistent as you would have liked. So there's no massive surprises for me from the outside looking in on Tottenham. Maybe I'd have expected them to be a bit a bit better um, just because they've got Conte. But I just, yeah, I just think recruitment is, is the reason. And um, I think that's something whoever's managing Tottenham next season that has to improve. Interesting. I, I would piggyback on a lot of what Thomas said the one thing that I would bring to the table here is uh, watching Fulham play against Tottenham, especially in the last match. I actually thought Fulham outplayed Tottenham in many ways, but they had the moment of magic from Harry Kane. They still have that. But the question is, can you live off of just having those moments from, say, Son? And as you said, Kev, it is not at the level that you're used to from that player. You still have that from Harry Kane. The problem is, is do you have that from the front to the back balance that Thomas was talking about? I don't think you do. I, I, I think that is the problem. It is recruitment, but I'll also ask the question, are the players playing for the manager, meaning are they, are they getting better under contact? Is this manager making them better? That, to me, is something that I, I always look with the manager and the players. Are they underperforming? Are they underperforming because of the manager or because they're just not playing well? Or is it just, is it a combination of everything? Is it a combination of the style and also the manager is not getting the most out of the player? It, it just doesn't seem like all the parts fit together. And the puzzling one for me, and I'm glad that Thomas brought this up, is why did you bring in Richarlson if he's not going to be a major part of uh, what you do? Because I think that he's a player that should be starting, but you already have players up front that you're going to be using. So why was he brought in? And that, to me, I agree with Thomas. I think you have to look at the players you brought in and figure out which ones are going to stay, which ones are going to go, and then think before you bring in a manager how all the pieces that you currently have fit together and what you need to add, and will you give that new manager a chance to add the pieces that fit the way that he wants to play. Because you can have all the talent in the world, but if all the pieces don't fit the puzzle, what does it matter? Tottenham still are going to win matches. They are going to be probably in the top four. But for a fan base like yours, your ambitions are higher than that. Your ambitions are similar to Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City, and the fans expect more. So I understand why there's this uproar over Conte 
and everything because this is not the Tottenham that I've watched over the years, the free-flowing football. I think that's what you need to get back to, and I think you need to find a manager that plays like that, and you keep the players around that are going to fit that style. That's, again, as an outsider, that's what I think. Yeah. I, I could talk for another 10 minutes about Spurs, but I suppose I shouldn't. But I, I think you both make really good points. Um, and on the on the recruitment point, uh, I do agree with both of you. I think some of the players were a little bit uh, square pegs for round holes. Um, I think the problem with Richarlison is he was meant to be cover for both Kane and Son, but Son hasn't been performing well. So, And when Richarlison has played instead of Son, we've tended to win, even though Richarlison hasn't really scored the goals. Richardson not as good on the right and not nearly as creative as Kulisevsky, who's the nearest thing we have to a number 10 now. Um, so yeah, it, it it really just hasn't worked out. And as you said, Thomas, typical uh, Tottenham luck that this is the year that Kane hasn't gotten injured, which obviously would have opened up that, that center forward or striker spot for him. Um, next, I wanted to talk about the relegation race, just because as people have probably seen, it's pretty nuts right now. There are currently nine teams within six points of 20th. Not even the relegation zone. Literally the dead last spot in the table. Over the last five seasons, there's been an average of 1.6 clubs. So depending on how you want to round, you know, do you. Um, within six points of last place at the ends of seasons. Do you think that the bottom will stay this close, this congested through the end of the season? Or do you think it'll break up the further we get uh, and the further down the stretch we go towards match week 38? I don't know. <laughs> I keep... Um... <laughs> I keep thinking that someone's going to, you know, get cut adrift, but it doesn't doesn't happen. You know, it's really, really annoying from my perspective as a supporter of one of the teams in that scrum. Um, you know, you, you think someone's dead. You know, you think, oh, yes, Southampton finally. You know, they, they've got this terrible manager and they're losing games left, right and centre. They're going to be the one. At least there's one nailed on team. You can, you know, then they claw their way back from the dead. You know, they just... They get a get a win at Stamford Bridge, and then they somehow hang on to beat Leicester, and they get pointed Old Trafford. You think, oh, they were dead and buried two weeks ago, and then you know, it, and then it's the same with Bournemouth. They were in free form. They come and beat Wolves at Molyneux, which was a result that would have given us the opportunity to really climb up towards mid-table, and then they pull us back in. And I don't know. Every time you think, oh, that's the team that's going to get cut adrift, another one. They seem to get a result, and it's and it's concertinaed up again. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I was looking at some of the fixtures yesterday, and I thought Everton have got a really nasty run of games. I think uh, I think that's that's a problem for them on paper. Um, but as we've seen recently, the, the table doesn't always you know predict the results that well um, this season particularly. So it's very hard to say from game to game how any team's going to fare. Because um, I don't think anyone saw that 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 Liverpool performance at Bournemouth yesterday being that bad. I mean, I was rubbing my eyes in disbelief. I couldn't believe how bad Liverpool were. I mean, Bournemouth were very good, very organised, um, but they didn't have to do a lot to win because because Liverpool were so badly organised and so toothless in attack that it, it was quite easy for them really. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a very tough league to predict. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I keep hoping from a Wolves perspective, that we're going to get the results to, to to move us away. Fortunately, despite losing today, we're at the top of that that pack. And now we've got back-to-back -back games against Forest and Leeds. So, I mean, that that gives us a, a real opportunity to, to get two results that will probably put us into mid-table. But knowing this season, 
you know, we'll probably get a negative return and, and we'll be right back down at the, the bottom. I can't, I can't predict it. I don't look at any of the teams really and think that one team is better than the other. I think they've all got different qualities and they can all win games in different ways. You know, I think Everton have got all those Sean Dyche qualities that you'd expect. There's a lot of effort and application and they're organised and they're quite compact. Uh, they've got a lot of power in the middle and then you've got, you know, Wolves who are kind of different. They don't really have that that fight and that same tenacity and but they've got a lot of technical players but then again, we don't score any goals, you know, and then you've got West Ham team that you feel should they be down there but for whatever reason they're just not getting the results. I mean, a draw today against Villa is okay in isolation, but they're probably be thinking that's a game they, they needed to get a three from. So it's just it's just very hard. It is hard to if you if you can't say with any definitive, you know, clarity which of the three teams you think are going to go down, then yeah, that suggests that it, it's going to carry on being tight. So um, I think maybe one or two teams might pull away, so it becomes more than. Four or five teams, but I, I, I just don't, I don't look at any team and think they're going to reel off five or six defeats in a row to, to break them away. So yeah, I suppose in my ramblings, I've reached a conclusion that I think it probably will go to the wire in, in a very similar way. Well, let me start by saying I am just so glad that I'm not part of this conversation with Fulham. So <laughs> I, I'm going to start there because uh, I expected to be part of this conversation and thankfully I've not been. So that to me is a blessing and knock on wood that it's the same next season, but it's a difficult situation. Your second season back in the Premier League, we'll see what happens. But I will just say to you, Thomas, I'm still shocked that you are where you are because uh, I expect Wolves to be out of this at some point. I think you should be pushing pulling away at some point. I expected it by now, but as you said, you keep getting dragged back in, but I think eventually you will be out of this. You're just too good of a club. I, I know the whole adage, uh, too good to be uh, to go down, but I just don't see that in Wolves. You have a very good manager, very good players. I was impressed by Wolves in the last match against Fulham, and I, I just don't see it, but it's so tight. So when I look at this, and I'm glad that Thomas went through and you're looking at it, you're looking at clubs and you're thinking that it's definitely going to go down. It's uh, hard to really pinpoint three. I would like to say, I think I know which ones, but I really don't because it really is tight. But I can tell you, in my opinion, the ones that I think are most likely going to go down, I would say are the three that are in position right now. That's my opinion based on what I've watched from them. But then you have Bournemouth get a result. I think Leeds are a kind of club that do a lot of good things, but don't know how to score goals and win. So for me, I think they're always going to be vulnerable. And part of me wants them to go down because they sacked their manager. So I'm just going to say that right off the bat. Southampton is is a a strange one because uh, they still have some pedigree and they have someone that, on free kicks can score a goal at any time. So, but if I'm looking at it, I still think the bottom three are going to be the bottom three, but it doesn't make it easy for all these other clubs around them, including Wolves. Nottingham Forest could be one of the three as well. I think everything's going to be out of it, along with Leicester and West Ham, but they're there right now. So I think it's going to be tight for a while, but I think eventually, 
just my opinion of watching the clubs. I think the bottom three are going to be the bottom three. I know it's that tight, but that's just my prediction. Gotcha. And then, Tom, as you said, you're kind of hoping for one team to eventually kind of get pegged to that bottom spot so you you know you, there's only like two two left that, that you could fall into. Is there a team that you think could be that, that 20th place team that maybe hasn't made themselves known yet? Um, I'm, I'm still going to go with Southampton um, just because I saw some of their game against Chelsea and the Leicester games that they won, which obviously the results that have prevented that from happening already. And they obviously they they had their say in those games and were and were good, but they they really did ride their luck. <laughs> there was some astonishing defending, um, goalkeeping misses um, from those those teams. So I think they're they've kind of they I feel like they're playing to their maximum, and yet they're still bottom. Um, that was a brilliant point for them today at uh, at Old Trafford, um, and they've got a home game against Brentford in the week, which is a massive game for them. Um, but I, I just look at some of their, they've got to play Tottenham and Man City and Arsenal, Newcastle away. And I just think maybe given that they've got the lowest points tally and they're still riding their looking games, um, I, I, I probably back them. But I stand to have egg on my face because I've, I've, I've probably changed that view all season. So uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're always looking at the clubs. I mean, Southampton all season have sort of had that look. Of, of a team that are, are rapidly not really improving and, and, and Bournemouth just because of the size of that club. I mean, they spent a fortune in January, uh, Bournemouth, and they've got some players who look very effective for them. Um, so they've, they've certainly given themselves a chance when a couple of weeks ago, I just thought they would sink like a stone to the bottom as well. But I, I just think Leeds, I think you, Leeds have got something left to say. I don't think they're, I don't, I think they've got problems, but I, I think they're, they're, they're quite good at digging out results. And I've seen some of their, their games and they were quite unlucky. They probably should have beaten Man United at Old Trafford a few weeks ago. They were unlucky to lose to them in the reverse fixture at Ellen Road a bit. So, yeah, I mean, that Wolves versus Leeds game next weekend is absolutely huge. I mean, if we win that, then that would put us, uh, what, seven points ahead of Leeds. If we lose it, it's one point. So it's it's literally a relegation. <laughs> feels like a proper relegation six points of that one. So, um so yeah, so you know Bournemouth and Southampton maybe, uh, but then all the others I, I really wouldn't like to predict. Gotcha. All right, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
All right, Thomas, we are back. We'll start off with you talking about Wolves. I just wanted to talk to you about today's match. Obviously, we, we tend to avoid big refereeing decisions, but a very controversial call for you today. Uh, up to you whether or not you really want to speak on that. But what did you make of Wolves' performance and results today? Yeah, I mean, we spoke off air, Kev, about the, the incident with Nick Pope. I, I thought that was a sending off. Um, and, and the thing, I suppose, the thing that's annoying isn't just the decision, it's how they reach the decision, because the referee's on the halfway line, basically, when the incident happens. Um, and so he doesn't give it, but he's miles away, so he clearly can't see, you know, with with any great clarity what, what's going on. And then the, the VAR um, says that it's not a clear and obvious error um, but common sense should surely dictate that what the VAR should have said is you're standing on the halfway line go over to the monitor and have a proper look at it and make a decision based on that footage that's what should happen um, but they follow this procedure don't they um, you know about clear and obvious errors and what is and isn't an, an obvious error um, so for my money I think the 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 process has broken down as much as anything, but yeah, I, you know, a, a row went down easily, and but then you could tell from the look on Pope's face afterwards that he, you know, he, he knew he'd done something, something bad, and he probably expected VAR to um, to put him in a bit of trouble. But but yeah, putting that to one side, um, I thought Newcastle probably were just about decent value for the win on on the overall balance of play. They got ahead, set piece. Um, and then they really did pepper us before half time, even though we hit the post. Um, and then in the second half, Wolves, Wolves were the better team, got the equaliser. But then Lopetegui went to a back three, tried to see the game out, and that that really did kill us because it invited Newcastle forward. We didn't offer anything as an attacking you know, outlet, and Newcastle, you know, who looked threatening throughout the game, it has to be said, um, got the winner. So I haven't got a massive complaint about the overall performance. But when you get a decision like that, it's so pivotal because it would have been a red card for Pope. It, it would have changed the whole course of the game. So it's hard not to feel sour about that one. Um, but on the plus side for Wolves, they were competitive again with the team. Obviously, we beat Tottenham and Liverpool recently. We pushed Newcastle quite hard today. Um, so, And it is, since Lopetegui's coming, you've got to remember at Christmas, we were bottom of the table and we were four points from safety. You know, we're now... Half, nearly halfway up the table, albeit only three points above the bottom three, but the situation is considerably more favourable now. Um, and I think since Lopetegui has taken over, we've sort of been a mid-table top-half team in, in terms of form. So we just need that trajectory to, to continue to the end of the season. Um, and if it does, we'll be fine. Yeah, fortunately, I already wrote that up. <laughs> I wanted to follow up with it, which is your top five team since since February. Um, with some of those big wins that you just talked about there. Um, we already talked when you first brought in Lepetegui about his his tactics and how you thought they'd work. They seem to be, for the most part, outside of the goal scoring, although you finally got a striker goal today. Hooray. Uh, I was just curious uh, if there have been any like massive changes behind this improvement or if you think you're really just kind of like starting to stabilize, hopefully towards the top of that, that uh, group that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think I think like going back to what I said about uh, Tottenham and personnel, I think Wolves got their recruitment pretty well done in in January. Um, some of the players haven't been as effective, but they they brought Craig Dawson from West Ham. We needed a commanding centre half, and he heads and kicks everything. He's like a magnet to the ball. So just having an experienced 
um, you know, Premier League defender at the heart of the defence was very important. Getting him in was key. Uh, Mario Lamina in midfield, he gives us a different dynamic to the midfield. He, he gets he gets tackles in. He can carry the ball a bit. He, he's very good defensively minded, and he's got a, you know some technical ability as well. So I think that has kind of brought a better balance to the team. Um, and then also we've just got more options because we've, we've had we've got players back from injury. Pedro Neto's back now, and he he looked quite sharp in the second half. I thought today, um, you know, he's got options. He's brought he he's got Cunha, who we bought from Atletico Madrid. He didn't even use him today from the bench. Um, so you know, Wang was back today and, and got a goal. Uh, so there's just a lot of options for the manager in in all areas of the pitch. He's got options. There were it's quite funny because you know for years we've operated with this threadbare squad and now we're leaving quite high profile players out of the match day you know what is it 19 altogether because there's just so many players knocking around um so it's good so i think it's a combination of a kind of tactically astute manager even though i did feel he got it wrong today with his with his substitutions towards the end um but a tactically astute manager with a lot of good players to choose from um and yeah, and just that—that's breeding, you know, good opportunities in a lot of games to collect results. And the good thing for us is we're not really being blown away by any teams. I think the only—the only game that comes to mind where we were really poor was was Man City away. But obviously that can happen to to any team. Uh, but other than that, we we're quite kind of competitive in games. No teams are really blowing us away. And I think if you're competitive in Premier League games, then you you've got a chance of just edging out the opposition as we saw in that Tottenham game which was a you know a perfect example where we weathered a storm stayed in it and then were rewarded for that with a with a goal so so yeah so I mean, I'm just hoping we continue to do that for the final 11 games of the season because if we do we're probably going to get to 40 points and uh, that's going to be enough Gotcha. Uh, Russ, we'll come to you now to talk about Fulham. Uh, didn't manage to score today, but coming into this match, uh, Menor Solomon, who people might not have really remembered that you'd signed in the summer because uh, obviously he was not able to play there for a while with injury. Um, but I was just curious what you made of, of his form, especially in this recent run and, and what he really brings to the team. It's been um, excellent to watch. And uh, I thought when they brought him in, over the summer, I thought he could be an impact player, an impact winger that they probably really needed, an upgrade. And then he gets injured after the first match against Liverpool in a behind-the-scenes friendly like a day later, which is crazy when you look back at it that they actually did this to a player that had not played a lot and they had just come to the club. And he gets injured, and uh, he finally comes back. And uh, we've been hearing things. You know, it's funny because I think he came back sooner than we thought he might come back. But he comes back and he literally scores five goals in five games. I kid you not, for us, that is huge. And he's been given us a huge impact. The issue that we have with Menor is that one is his fitness. Can he play 90 minutes? He's not played 90 minutes in the Premier League yet. And uh, Silva basically said that he's not really fit at this point to go 90 minutes. So either he's starting or he's coming off the bench as an impact sub. He started today. William was a late scratch is what I'm hearing with an injury. Hopefully it's not severe. 
but Solomon has been incredible. He scored two identical goals in two games, which I've never seen before in my life. From the same place, the same corner, he did it in two straight games. And he gives Fulham something that they seriously need. And um, it's not just about him scoring goals. He looks like the complete player. And um, I don't know if uh, he's going to be coming back to Fulham. There's all of this speculation about his contract. It is a loan. And um, I'm sure your club, Arsenal, many clubs are going to be linked to him this summer. And uh, I, I hope he decides to come back to Fulham because it's been a good match. But all the cards are really with him. So I'm just going to enjoy it to the end of the season and see if Fulham can figure out a way to keep him. But he's been a breath of fresh air. And they've needed him right now. Yeah, I feel like uh, if I were a player that was on loan at a club where like I fit pretty well, I'd think twice before wanting to to not go back given some of the situations, especially with Chelsea loanies in recent years being very good at their loan clubs and then going back and either not getting minutes, not performing well when they get the minutes. does seem like a pretty good match for you. Um, also, you you uh, obviously pointed out earlier, you aren't really part of that relegation thing. If anything, considering that 38 points has been safe, uh, the vast majority of recent memory uh, of recent years, 39 probably means you're already safe. So you can kind of look up the table a bit more. Obviously, you've played more matches than a lot of the clubs around you, but is there still hope that you can kind of push for one of those European league spots? I'm not giving up on that, Kev. I'm seriously not giving up on that. The last two matches Fulham have lost, and one was very painful because it was against Brentford, and the other one obviously was today against Arsenal, and it was difficult to watch because I knew... Before these two matches, when Jao Polina got another yellow card, that he was going to be out for two matches. And I knew what it looked like the first time around, and I was fearful it was going to look the same in these two matches. And it has. It really has. He really is so much of what Fulham do centers around him. Everything ebbs and flows off of him. So when you take him out of the team then you're actually lessening the ability of Harrison Reed, who has to kind of take over that role in some ways. And then you're asking Sasa Lukic to take over that role. And that affects that whole three players. I mean, the whole balance is off because Reed is meant to be a box-to-box central midfielder where he really is like a Russell Terrier and they're just driving the other teams crazy with just really getting after the ball, but he's not really allowed to do that right now because part of his duties is to do the Polina role. So as long as I've watched Fulham, I can't remember losing a player like this having as much impact as this player because they don't have any answers for playing without him. Thankfully, he will be back, and I can see Fulham moving on and really getting back into the groove. He's that vital to everything that they do. We have an upcoming FA Cup match against Manchester United. And ironically, a player that he's been compared to is going to be missing, and that's Casemiro. Casemiro got a red card. He will not be featuring. So I actually think Fulham have a very good chance of getting to a semifinal in the FA Cup 
because he's not going to be there because he's been vital to what Manchester United do. I don't think we look very closely sometimes at how important central midfielders are. Thomas, I can I know will vouch for me on this. The addition of bringing in Mario Lamina, I think, has added a great deal to Wolves. And that player, when you have that player, it then allows you to do other things. Boom, without this player, it's affected them. But with him back, I don't see any reason why Fulham can't compete for Europe because they have many winnable matches coming up for the end of the season. There are points there for them. And they have beaten the teams around them. Well, I, I just say lower than them. The teams ahead of them, they've struggled. So they've had a very good record against the teams that are basically in the uh, relegation area. So I feel pretty confident that Fulham can compete. Do I think that they're going to get a European spot? Probably not, but they will compete for it. Gotcha. And just wanted to wrap up the club section by talking to you a little bit about Clint Dempsey. Obviously sure. played for both of our clubs uh, and also our country. I just wanted to know what kind of impact he kind of had or, or left on you as both a Fulham and an American fan. Okay, well, this might take a few minutes, Kev, to talk about Quint Dempsey. I hope you don't mind. Uh, I'm just going to share my history with Quint Dempsey. I did this on my own show. So without Quint Dempsey, I'm not a Foam supporter. Let's just start there. Quint Dempsey's impact for Foam is incredible. But for me personally, it's even more. Because Quint Dempsey went from the New England Revolution to Fulham. I was searching for a Premier League side to call my own. And eventually I came upon Fulham because of Quint Dempsey going to Fulham. It took me about six months to the next season to me really starting to get into Fulham. And it was the great escape season where they found a way to stay in the division. He was the vessel. He was the catalyst for me to become a Fulham supporter. I got to watch what I think is the greatest American goal in a European competition against Juventus scored by Clint Dempsey. Goal after goal by Clint Dempsey, but his impact for Fulham is incredible. He will be a Fulham legend, and if he isn't already. And uh, I think, in my opinion, the greatest American player to play in the Premier League. That's just my opinion. Better than McBride. I think it's Clint Dempsey, and his impact will be felt for years to come. And for me personally, extremely high. I wish someday to meet him just to, just to shake his hand. Yeah, obviously a, a, a giant in the American game. Uh, for me, his goal against Manchester United for us is, is one that will live long in the memory in the snow. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll move on from there into Player Watch, where I just wanted to take from you guys on who your best player has been since the World Cup break. Yeah, I was thinking about this one. Um, it's quite hard for Wolves because it's been more of a team effort than an outstanding individual kind of raising us from the, the lowly position we are. But I'm going to use it as a platform to talk about Jose Saar, who has been pretty consistently one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, I think, for you know for two seasons now. I saw in the gossip column uh, this morning talking about Tottenham uh, and their search for a goalkeeper and potentially going after Jordan Pickford. 
or going for Martinez at Villa. And I'm surprised that maybe Jose Sarr isn't in that conversation for, for a move, because I think he would certainly, he would be in that bracket of goalkeepers. I mean, I don't know, you know, externally teams view your players differently, don't they? So you might have a view, Kev, on, on whether you think that's a, you know, an accurate kind of link to make. But I just think when you've got a goalkeeper who, to me, is he, he can do what you want a top goalkeeper to do. He can play a bit out. Um, he, he's capable of spectacular saves. And in between that, he's generally quite neat and tidy. Um, he does have an erratic moment in him, but I think all those goalkeepers do who, who can play with their feet a bit. Um, so, yeah, but I think for, you know, bringing it back to Wolves, I mean, he's made some fantastic saves. Um, he made big saves in that um, win against Liverpool. He, he made a good early save against Kulishevsky, uh in the in the game at Molyneux when we beat Tottenham. So I think all the big wins we have have normally been you know, punctuated with brilliant saves by, by Jose Sarr. So he saved a couple of penalties this season as well. Russ will know he saved, uh, saved in the game against uh, Fulham. Who else did he save one against? Uh, Notts Forest. So, I mean, that, that that alone has put four points on the board and that's the margin between us and the bottom three. So, I mean, even just on penalty saves, he's, he's been, you know, essential to us. So, I think he's just continually been important, not necessarily improved since the World Cup, but but certainly he's continued to be important for us. So, I think I would, I would probably give it to Jose Son. I just want to re- reiterate everything that Thomas just said. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. I have much respect for him. I also have much respect for Wolf, so I'll just say that. For Fulham, Kev, you're going to like this. Before I say who has been the best player for Fulham, I will say that Bern Leno has been excellent. So that would be my second choice. Mm. My first choice is going to be Tim Ream. It's absolutely <laughs> going to be Tim Ream. And it's shocking to say this to you. I've been on the show before. We talk about the U.S. men's national team. He's too old. He's too this. But I got to tell you, he's still doing it. He's still doing it at a very high level. And Fulham are not where they are today without Tim Ream playing at that level. And it's funny because when you look at players, you always think of as goalkeepers can play later on in their career. Is it possible that center backs can play later in their career because of the knowledge that they have for the game? Because I'm starting to think that there are certain center backs that can do this because Tim Ream obviously does not have the pace anymore, but he has the knowledge and the instincts to make all the right passes, to make all the right moves, to be at the right place at the right time every time. And he has been that good for Fulham Football Club. There was one pass that if he does not make this pass, Fulham don't be frightened. He makes an incredible pass that sets up the goal, basically, for, for Menor Solomon. If it's not for Tim Ream's pass, that whole thing doesn't happen. So that just tells you his, his impact has been massive for Fulham, and I never thought I'd be saying that. It's to the point where I did my show today, and we're talking about, well, Tim Ream can't play forever, and I'm thinking... They need him to because he's playing at such a high level. So Tim Ream has been fantastic. He's He'll be up for player of the year for Fulham. I can't believe I'm saying that. I can't believe you're saying that either. <laughs> but uh, good good to hear overall. And he had been performing well ahead of the World Cup as well, which was uh, encouraging after I'm sure both of us thinking he was 
kind of done for for club and country. Uh, we'll wrap up with match previews. Uh, we'll start off with you, Thomas. You mentioned earlier a couple of air quotes easier fixtures coming up for you. What do you think uh, will happen in this Leeds match? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that's becoming a theme with all the questions you're asking me, isn't it? This way, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, what do we know about Leeds? They're going to cover the ground. They're going to press us. Um, they, they, they're a very good team in between the penalty areas, um, but they still seem like they're going to give you a goal. And at the moment, they're not they're not massively dangerous in attack. So they do they do because of that they they give you a chance in games. And because we're at home, I'm really hoping we're going to take this game by the scruff of the neck and and really you know make a big statement about survival because. As I said, we've got Leeds at home and then Forest away after the international break. These two games will likely define what the rest of the season is going to be like because if we get a four or a six, we're probably more or less safe because that would put us above 30 and we've still got quite some favourable fixtures to come. Um, if we get a zero or a one, then we're going to be right right down towards the bottom three. So now is the time for the these players to, um, to perform. So... Um, what is my instinct telling me? I'm going to just, I'm just going to sit on the fence and say a draw because I honestly have no idea. Um, anything could happen in that game. Um, I think we've got more technical quality, but I think they've got more ability. I think they've got more legs in their team, and I think they're, I think they're more cohesive in how they move around the pitch. Um, I worry about how we try and play out from the back. I think that could that could expose us if they press as well. But all things considered, based on the, both teams' inability to score, you know, I'm going to say one all. Gotcha. And Russ, you're going to be facing Manchester United. Uh, which one do you think will, will show up? The one that was able to, to kind of string a lot of wins together and win a cup or the one that's kind of showed up the last two matches? I hope it's certainly not the one that has showed up the last two matches. The good thing is that Jao Polina will be back. Like I mentioned, it'll be interesting to see how Manchester United deal with the fact that Casemiro's not there. Obviously, they have great players. I'm not saying that they don't. I think they have a good manager. But I think this is really an opportunity for Fulham to get to a semifinal for the first time in a very long period of time. And that's going to be a big storyline this entire week about this opportunity. It has not come around that often for Fulham. So I'm looking forward to it. I think they have an opportunity to go to Old Trafford and uh, and win this, but only time will tell. I'm just hoping, as uh, you just asked me, that I see the form that got to eighth place right now on the table and not the form for the last two matches. That's all right. We'll wrap things there. So if you would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that would be a great time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, as always, it's just wolvesblog.com uh, to read all about Wolves. If your team's playing Wolves or you yourself are a Wolves supporter, uh, there's lots of good stuff on there, lots of comments, not just me talking to an empty room. There are other people with contrasting opinions and interesting things to say. So, uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to come on and see us. Uh, otherwise, I will be back on here the next time I am invited, assuming Wolves stay in the Premier League. Well, I'm Russ Goldman, host of uh, Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club. As always, you can actually follow us on Twitter at Cottage Talk and at my own personal Twitter account, Russ underscore Goldman. And you can listen to the show 
on any podcast app that plays podcasts. We'll be there. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. And as Russ said, you can just search EPL Roundtable on any of your podcast services, and you're sure to find us as well. But obviously, do check out both Russ and Thomas's work. They're both great at what they do as well. Uh, thanks again to the two of them for coming on today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening.